doing whatever she's doing up there. And so uh, she's been doing, been on a tour of, of a bunch of these facilities. So they've got, I don't know, hundreds of these facilities around the country. And so she's been going around basically shaking hands and kissing babies and just seeing the folks and <clears throat> seeing how things are going. And that's kind of her responsibility to help that group out there. So they all report to her. But um, um, she'll be heading back to Tennessee tomorrow. Um, and I think this is the last trip for the year that she'll have to take. And then she'll be with us till January for sure. And then uh, we'll see after that. So uh, don't forget, uh, Friday we have uh, prayer. Uh, and then, um, uh, of course, Sunday is um, uh, Sunday's our church meal, right? And, um, uh, and then also uh, it's finger food meal, right? So, and then we'll do the uh, white elephant gifts after that. And then um, uh, a week from Friday is when we're going to do the um, uh, putting the gifts together, right? The, the uh, Christmas bags uh, for the uh, Ray County Jail there. And so Chris has still got to coordinate with them to find out uh, when they want us to bring those over there. And um, so we'll figure that out and let you guys know. And... Um, um, I think the only thing that's, that we lack now is uh, more stamps. So if, uh, if you want to uh, bring some stamps for the uh, envelopes, we've got some stamps already. I don't know how many. We've got at least 80 stamps. And so um, we get, uh, we're going to get uh, an envelope uh, for each of the uh, inmates there that they can write to people outside there. And so um, I think everything else is going good. So... Um, We've got a bunch of stuff in the kitchen there, and so um, <clears throat> I think that'll be a, a blessing to them. And uh, as much as anything, we would just want them to know that you know there is a path to uh, for redemption. Amen. Uh, and uh, we can't change what happened yesterday. Uh, and so all you can do is move forward. And you know, you think about uh, like Paul. You know, he he uh, watched over the the murder of Stephen. You know, and, and basically we've been an accessory to murder. Yeah, yeah. And um, the Lord specifically called him out. So he called him a chosen vessel. Uh, and yet he was doing terrible things to the church prior to being redeemed or receiving the redemption that the Lord had already paid for in the cross. Uh, and so, you know, the state and oftentimes people will remember your past, but the Lord doesn't remember your past. Amen. Uh, and so it's good for us to... Uh, to be like the Lord in that. Amen. Uh, and so, uh, why don't we pray and we'll thank the Lord for his word today. So, Father, we thank you for your word. And, Father, as we approach your word, we, we approach it humbly, Father, thanking you that uh, it is your spirit that guides us. It's your spirit that grants unto us revelation knowledge from your word. Father, your word is not uh, old, dead words on a page, Father, but they're alive and powerful, uh, filled with revelation and life, Father, for our lives, and they produce faith in us, Father, to believe you more, to believe that you are the God of today, and Father, that you're not the, uh, uh, have retired in heaven, but Father, that you're involved in our day-to-day -day lives each and every day, Father. And we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Um, <clears throat> let's open our Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 3. We'll continue there today. And... Um, um, we got down to, um, uh, to the end of verse 3 where Paul said, And have no confidence in the flesh, 
and and then he then he kind of goes from there and, and he starts talking about his resume we're going to talk uh, some more about that as we go on tonight um, and you know that that comment there about having no confidence in the flesh that's that's an area that we have to train ourselves right because uh, you know all of our lives we're taught to to learn things we're taught to do things we're, we obtain knowledge we obtain um, skills and it's easy to fall back on that you know maybe you're good at academics or maybe you're good at uh, mechanical things or maybe you're good at uh, you know sometimes at philosophy or good at uh, you know whatever it is that you're good at and oftentimes we fall back on that as you know that's who I am and, and people over the years uh, would obtain knowledge and they get to the point that they think they're smarter than God uh, and uh, and then they start doubting God. Well, God would never do this, or God shouldn't, you know, God shouldn't have done it that way. As if their extremely limited intellect has the capacity to outthink God, you know. Uh, and yet, that's been the fall of humanity forever, right? I mean, humanity has oftentimes uh, looked at ourselves and, well, you know, if it was me, I would have done it this way. I wouldn't have never done it that way. Uh, and... and uh, you know, and it's such a limited thing, and yet people have done that all the time. You know, people, uh, you know, there's one fellow I remember that he was just one of these um, kind of political commentators. And, um, you know, they asked him, and, and he was really intelligent in that area, right? He knew history, he knew, you know, a lot of different things, and he was interesting to listen to. Uh, and then asked him, you know, do you believe in God? He said, well, I, I don't not believe in God, I just don't know. Uh, and the reason he didn't know is because he was so smart, at least in his mind, that, you know, he couldn't wrap his mind, his intellect around the fact that there's a God. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times what happens is people of intelligence will, will try to understand, you know, well, why is there evil in the world? You know, why, why is there sin in the world? Why is there sickness in the world? Uh, and because they can't understand the whole scheme of things, you know, immediately they think, well, if it was me, I would never have evil in the world any, anyway. And, and yet... Uh, in order for that to have happened, then God would not uh, have a, been able to grant Adam a free will. You know, that, that's uh, one way to guarantee that there's no evil in the world is to not allow you to have a choice to allow evil in the world because it was Adam who allowed the evil in the world, not God. God didn't allow evil in the world. Adam did. Uh, and so oftentimes people, you know, will try to second-guess God as if they would be a better God than he would. And so because of that, they... they are too prideful to have faith and say, well, uh, even if I don't understand it, I just have to leave it alone, amen? Uh, and, you know, in studying these things, I don't know all that there is to know, but, you know, there's something about a free will, you know, that uh, if you think about a free will, a free will is exactly that. It's a free will, right? A free choice. And, you know, you, you think about God. Does God have a free will? Sure he does, right? Does he get to do whatever he wants to do? Sure he does. Well, you know, and it's not heresy, but could God decide not to do, to do something that would not be God? You know, like, to, of course, it says it's impossible that he could lie, but could he do something that would be, you know, I don't know what else he, he could do other than lie because, you know, uh, but could he do something that would invalidate him as God? Well, you know, uh, you'd have to say yes because he has a free will. Now, he never will because he's faithful, right, and he's, and he's God, but because he has a free will, he could do that, and that's not heresy, it's just... You know, it's understanding the concept of a free will. And, and that's really the, the whole, the whole, you know, I don't know if it's called Achilles heel of a free will is that the free will could choose to do something wrong. Uh, and, 
uh, and like I said, I'm no, I'm no philosopher, and uh, people of great philosophical minds will dwell on such uh, questions for all of their life, trying to understand that. You know, uh, I always try to keep things really simple. Amen. A free will gets to make a choice. Uh, and God has granted that ability in our lives to do that. Amen. Uh, we get to choose every day to follow him or to not follow him. Uh, and so, uh, but the problem is people will have confidence in their flesh. They'll have confidence in their intellect of their ability to discern and understand the greatness of God. Uh, and we're woefully inadequate to do that. Amen. There's some things you just have to believe, you know, just some things that, you know, God cannot lie. Okay, you just have to believe that, you know, because, well, is that true? I mean, is that actually, you know, is it true? Well, the Bible says that it's impossible for God to lie. So that means he's incapable of lying. Uh, and that, that's who he, who he is, right? He, has, uh, he is that, right? Uh, and so, well, you could argue about that or you could, you know, talk about it, but at the end of the day, you, you just have to decide, okay, that's true. God decided to do that, amen? And yet people, oftentimes even in the church, they can't wrap their heads around the fact that we have a free choice. And so they, they create all kinds of crazy doctrines like John Calvin did that we don't have a free choice. That God has already decided everything for us. And so we're just basically robots just going through a preordained set of steps. Which is what, you know, if you go down to like BW to their manufacturing plant. Uh, they've got all these welding robots, you know, and these welding robots are very, you know, they're crazy expensive, you know, probably millions of dollars, and somebody programs it, and that welding robot can go down and pick up a whole car door, and pick it up, spin it around, and make five welds on it, and put it back down to, and pick up the next one, uh, and that's all it's ever going to do. All of its steps are preordained. Uh, it has no conscience. It has no free will. It can't decide, I'm not doing doors today. I'm just going to do windows. I'm going to do trunks today or something, and it has no free will, but that's people who, who uh, align themselves up with uh, things like Calvinism think that's how we are. That's, that uh, you, you actually make no choices. God's already made that choice for you, and yet, don't you feel like you make a choice every day? Uh, you do make a choice every day. It's not, like, it's not that you just feel like you make a choice. You do make a choice. And yet, uh, those people have confidence in their flesh that we understand God. Uh, and uh, it's, it's just... Um, you know, it's, a, it's sad because oftentimes people like that will be held in high esteem in the church, you know. And, uh, and I mean, it, there's whole schools of thought that follow after John Calvin, uh, John Calvin and Calvinism and those types of things. And, and oftentimes those people are the same, they're made in the same way. They have confidence in their flesh, right? They have confidence in their intellect to understand God. Uh, and, you know, there's lots of things that I know that God does. And when, uh, if I ask, you know, why did he do it that way or how did he do that? I don't know. You know, just like, uh, did God create the earth in six days? Well, I, the Bible says six days, right? I mean, do you th don't you think God could have told Moses that a day was an innumerable number of years? Uh, he could have, but he told uh, Moses it was a day. And so, uh, well, how could he do that? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't have to know. Do you have to know? I don't have to know. I don't have to be able to understand how he could possibly do that in a day. I just have to believe that he did do that in, in a day because I have no confidence in my flesh. I have no, there's no requirement on my part that, Lord, I must understand that before I believe. If that's part of, of how you operate with the Lord, that you must understand before you believe, you know, th then, then you have confidence in your flesh and you think that, you know, the Lord has to answer to your flesh prior to, prior to you believing. And, and is anything wrong with obtaining understanding? Nothing wrong with obtaining understanding. We will spend the rest of our life on this earth 
trying to gain more understanding. Amen. That's what we do. We, we try to understand, Lord, why did you do it that way? Uh, uh, you know, what's my part in that? You know, how do I, how do I obtain this particular promise? We will spend the rest of our life trying to gain understanding and increasing an understanding. But, uh, but my understanding is not necessary before I believe. Amen. And if you do that, if you, if, if you believe that your understanding of something is required before you choose to believe to something, then you have confidence in your own flesh. And Paul said, I have no confidence in the flesh. Uh, and so, uh, then he goes on to verse 4, says, though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any, uh, if any other man thinketh he had whereof, uh, that he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. So, uh, so he's saying, you know, technically, I have a valid reason to have confidence in the flesh. You know, some people, they're not good at anything, right? They're not good at, at books. They're not good at, they have no skills. They, they can't drive. They can't cook. They can't clean. They can't, I mean, they can literally, you know, anybody like that? You know, they're just very low skills. And, and someone like that, I got no confidence in the flesh. Why? Because I literally can't do anything. But Paul's just saying, look, I, you know, from my resume, if you just looked at my resume only, I would have a valid reason to have confidence in the flesh. Amen. Uh, and uh, we actually talked about this story, um, uh, maybe even Sunday, but um, I thought in the context of this, it'd be good to go back and read a little, little bit more of that story back in, in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 30. We talked about this. Uh, well, we talked about this on Sunday, I know, because we talked about the one verse about uh, David um, encouraging himself in the Lord, right? So this is 1 Samuel chapter 30. So David's not king yet. He's still running around doing his thing. And um, uh, so <clears throat> um, so I, I just want to go back and read it again because uh, in the context of this, I think it'd be helpful so David was a warrior, right? You know, this is First uh, Samuel 30. So by this time, David had already defeated Goliath, right? He defeated Goliath back in, in chapter 17. And then after that, he started fighting alongside of, of King Saul. And they would sing songs about David. David has killed his 10,000 and Saul killed his has killed his thousands, which made Saul jealous because, he, well, I've killed people too, you know. Uh, and, and so, you know, people get jealous sometimes when they find out, you know, uh, oh, you can do more than I can. Well, I can do stuff too. Uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't trying to, to, um, to say Saul wasn't a great warrior in the, or that David was even greater than Saul. It was just, that's what had happened. David had killed his ten thousands and Saul had killed his thousands. And so that, uh, things like that made Saul get jealous and get mad at David and try to kill David many times. And so David's out running around now trying to hide from Saul. And so here he is that uh, they had set up camp at this city called Ziklag. And it says in verse 1, It came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. Uh, and so that's where David was, was uh, setting up camp, right? At this city called Ziklag. And the enemy, the Amalekites, came and took everything. They, they, they took all the women and children and burned the rest. Uh, and so David and his men came to the city and behold it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive and David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they, they had no more power to weep you think about that you know these are men right these are the warriors and they had no more power to weep they had cried so much they had no more power to weep 
and David's two wives were taken captive, uh, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed. Well, why was David greatly distressed, even more so than the other men? For the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, uh, every man for his sons and for his daughters. So everybody's weeping. Uh, did David lose something? He lost something, right? He lost his two wives, right? He lost all the things, whatever things that he had there. Uh, he was, was, was he in a different place or position than anybody else? No, it's the exact same situation, right? He, he's lost everything. Everything's been taken from him. Uh, just like everybody else. And yet they want to stone him. Uh, why? You know, there, there's something about human nature that it's necessary to find blame. Right? It's necessary to, to blame somebody. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes it's just not important about who's, who's to blame here, right? Because who's to blame in this case? There's nobody to blame, right? It just happened. And the enemy came in and did these things. Uh, I remember uh, years ago when I was, uh, uh, in fact, I guess it was my last corporate job that I had. Um, when I started the job, my boss assigned this project to me. And uh, this one thing had been, uh, it was a component on one of the diesel engines and it, and it had been failing early uh, and was uh, causing uh, a potential huge warranty claim against our company. Uh, and so my boss said, you go fix it. And, and like the second day I started work there, you go fix that. Uh, and so I start digging and digging and digging and, and come to find out this, this has been going on for years, right? They started making this thing many years ago, but it took about a year or two on the engine before it ever failed and so it wasn't happening immediately it was taking a long time for it to start but once it started they all started failing you know pretty regularly and then you know it would, all the oil would leak out and then of course uh, an engine without any oil is bad news right and so we were buying a lot of engines and, and so anyway it was turning out to be a big deal and so uh, so but we figured it out and we were having meetings with the customer and, and at one of the particular meetings this, this one guy um, from the customer just started going on and on about, you know, well, why didn't you do that testing? And I said, well, I said, I said well, we're going to do all this testing. We're going to figure this out. I said, why didn't you do that testing, you know, a year or two ago? And he started going on about, you know, about how that, you know, we're going to be blamed for these things. And I said, it, it doesn't matter what we didn't do or did do a year or two ago. We're here right now. Let's solve the problem. Once we solve the problem, we can talk about whatever. But right now we need to solve the problem. Who cares what happened yesterday? Here, this is where we're at. And he didn't much like that, but to some people, it should, and what if it, what if we went through? Okay, let's spend a week or two and go find out why we didn't do that. Well, how 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 would that have helped us at all? It wouldn't have helped us all, right? It wouldn't have helped us solve the problem at all. Uh, and uh, and it turns it turned out at the end of the day that uh, the the root cause was they decided to change the material that the thing was made out of, and it was fine before, but not fine afterwards. And but both the customer. Uh, and we signed off on it. Well, then everybody's to blame, right? If, if we say, hey, we're going to do this. Are you okay with that? Yeah, we're okay with that. Well, then everybody's okay with it. If everybody's okay with it, and then it starts failing, it's not my fault. It's our fault, amen? But they didn't, they didn't like that. And so, But some people, it's just really important about who's to blame. I've got to blame somebody. Who cares? Move on. Can you change it even if you know who's to blame? No. Now, if you can learn from the mistake, fine. And, then, and to me, the obvious the obvious answer to that particular problem was you know don't take something that's working really well and then cut the price in half and use use material that's only half as good 
I mean, why would you do that, right? That's really uh, just rolling the dice. And that's what they did. They rolled the dice and they lost, right? Uh, and so, you know, there was a lot of engineering involved in that stuff there. But, uh, uh, but um, you know, we, and so we learned, we learned from that. But, uh, but they wanted to stone David. And so now David's all by himself. You know, they were supposed to have been, hey, let's do this together. Let's fix this together. But now David's all by himself. They're all uh, uh, wanting to, to stone David and to kill him. And then we get to the end of that uh, verse 6 there that we talked about on Sunday. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Uh, and, you know, sometimes you're all by yourself, right? Sometimes you look around and there's nobody there with you. And, it, and if you can't find it in your own heart to encourage yourself, you're, you're toast, right? You're not going to make it. You know, th- these people, these other men, they weren't making it. They, weren't, they, they, they had nothing on the inside of them to overcome the enemy. They'd already given up and quit. And all they wanted to do now is to blame and to, and to punish somebody. Uh, but David's like, no, I'm not quitting. Uh, I need to be encouraged, but I'm not quitting. And so he went and encouraged himself in the Lord. Uh, and sometimes that you've got to do that. Sometimes you have to declare, Lord, I will overcome. Uh, it, it, if it looks like you'll never overcome, you have to declare, Lord, I will overcome. I will succeed. I will make it. Uh, and David did that, right? David had to encourage himself in the Lord his God. Uh, and so... Uh, so once he did that, uh, uh, you know, we're talking about not having confidence in the flesh. So what was David's, what was David's uh, occupation right now at this point in time in history? He was a warrior, right? What did he do? He fought. He killed people, right? He destroyed the enemy. Uh, and so um, what could he have done here? He could have just gone and found the Amalekites and just taken his stuff back. I mean, he was a deal warrior. He killed Goliath. Uh, he could have had confidence in the flesh. He could have said, I've got this. Boys, let's go. We'll go do it, you know. And, and that may have been part of the reason why they wanted to stone him because he didn't immediately say, let's go, let's go get him. Well, wh- well, why didn't he say that? Well, because David had no confidence in his flesh. He, it wasn't about, I'm the biggest, baddest warrior because of my skill and my training and my experience. Uh, I'm a great warrior because, remember what he told Saul, the king, he said, I have fought the lion and I have fought the bear. And both times the Lord delivered me from, from both of those. I have confidence in the Lord. He said, this uncircumcised Philistine is no different. So he didn't have confidence in his warrior abilities. He had confidence in God. So uh, even though he technically had a, a valid reason to have confidence in the flesh, I mean, if you kill a lion and a bear, you know, you'd be like, I killed a lion and a bear. Well, you killed, you know. Uh, you killed a cockroach, that's it. You know, I've killed a lion and a bear. Uh, yeah, and so... Um, so what's uh, he would have had valid reason to to have confidence in his flesh, right? He's had experience. You know, how many people do you know has killed a lion and a bear? I mean, he killed one lion and one bear. That's one more lion and one more bear than I've ever killed, right? Uh, and so, uh, but but did he immediately say, "We've got this. We've got this experience. We've killed a lion and a bear, and now we've killed Goliath, and since then we've killed tens of thousands of enemies. We can go do this, boys." No, he didn't do that. Uh, and, and it's really easy to fall into that trap. It's really easy to rest upon your experience and your knowledge and your understanding of whatever it is uh, and to say, you know, Lord, I, I've got this from here. Uh, and yet, what did David do? He, he said in verse 7, And David said to Abiathar, uh, the priest, uh, Himelech's son, I pray thee bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. So the ephod was, was kind of a cloak that they would wear to, uh, to, to go before the presence of the Lord. 
And it says, And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I, shall I overtake them? So uh, he, he's not asking, you know, can I overtake him? He's asking the Lord if he should even go. Well, why is he doing that? Because he has no confidence in his own flesh. He has no confidence that, Lord, I can do this. Uh, no matter what happens, I can handle the situation. He, he has gotten to a point in his life where he has trusted the Lord so much that he is completely... Uh, has no confidence in his own flesh. Uh, and, and so he, he's not just asking the Lord, uh, it, uh, when I go fight them, will I have success? He's asking the Lord, should I even go fight them at all? Now, uh, I mean, w- was it a small thing? Had they just taken a couple of trinkets? No, they had taken their families, their own wives, their own children, the most precious things in their lives. They had taken those things. And David's asking the Lord, should he even go after them? Uh, now, how often do we get in our emotions? I'm doing it. I'm going to go after it. You know, they took this. I'm going to go after them. What are you doing? You have confidence in the flesh. Confidence uh, in, in your own abilities, you know. Uh, when you have no confidence in the flesh, you have no plans. Your only plan is, uh, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's your only plan. Amen. Uh, and, and I remember, you know, this person will remain nameless, but I remember, you know, it was uh, 2007, uh, my pastor that I'd been with for 20 years passed away that day. He'd been sick for many years. Uh, and that day he, he breathed his last breath on the earth and he died in a hospital. Uh, and so we're at the hospital, you know, that day he, he had passed and we're just kind of all, all in the waiting room. Just, you know, what do you say? What do you do? Well, you don't say or do anything. You just kind of numb, right? And uh, someone that was precious to you had passed away. But one of the fellows there, uh, you know, jumped up and said, I'm going to go raise him from the dead. And, you know, we're all thinking, dummy, sit down. You know, I mean, why do, if you're going to raise him to the dead, why don't you raise him off the deathbed before he died? If you got all that power, big boy, why don't you go do, take care of him when he was alive instead of waiting till he's dead, you know? But, but see, he thought it was spiritual, but really he was having confidence in his flesh. I have confidence in my faith. I'm going to go raise him from the dead. But the problem with that mentality is from a doctrinal standpoint is where in the Great Commission does the Lord tell us to go raise the dead? When he said, go into all the world to preach the gospel, right? In my name, they shall cast out devils, right? They shall speak with other tongues. Uh, and, and uh, you know, they go on down to the end. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. But where in that, in Mark 16, where does it say, thou shalt raise people from the dead? It doesn't say that, right? So if it doesn't say it, that means we don't have a direct, uh, a direct authority to go raise people from the dead without asking the Lord. Has anybody ever been raised from the dead since then? Sure, many people have, right? Even in the, in the book of Acts and, and people like Smith Wigglesworth, right? He'd go to a funeral and his wife would say, no, Smith, he's already dead. Uh, and and uh, not as if Smith didn't know that, right? But there, the, uh, there, there was one, he went to a funeral. You know, a lot of times they would have the wake at people's houses, right? So one time they were at a funeral at the house and they had these, like, these French doors. He went into the, into the room where the casket was, closed French doors, Picked the man up and, you know, shook him, commanded life to come back in him. And he came, he rose from the dead. They walked back out of the French doors, you know. That really uh, messed your whole day up right there, right? Uh, well, w- why did he do that? He had the, the spirit of faith came upon him, right? You have to have the spirit of faith in working in miracles in order to raise somebody from the dead. And that's, the, those two gifts of the spirit are by the, uh, by the will of the spirit of God. It's not something you can do anytime you want to. And so specifically raising from the dead can only be done by the unction of the Holy Ghost. Can't be done. Uh, I don't need the unction of the Holy Ghost to pray for the sick. 
I've got the great commission already that says lay hands on the sick. I don't need, uh, now we're thankful for it. I don't need work, I don't need gifts of healings in manifestation to pray for the sick. If I have gifts of healings in manifestation, that's great. That means, you know, the, the person receiving re- needs less faith. But, but I don't need that. If, if, uh, if somebody is sick, just by the, by the direction of the word of God, I can go pray for the sick. The Bible says lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. So I don't need a word from heaven. Now, now the only thing you would need to know from heaven and, and praying for the sick is the Lord may tell you don't pray for them. And, and there, may be, there may be things going on in that person's life that they're in unforgiveness or in sin. They don't want to repent. You know, the Lord's dealt with them for many years and they just don't want to do it. Well, in that sense, then sometimes the will of God can be constrained, right? Uh, but all things being equal, we don't typically need permission to, to pray for the sick. If anything, we will have a constraint not to pray for the sick. But it's the opposite when you're praying for the dead that we can't do that unless the Lord specifically instructs us. So he jumped up. I'm going to go. I'm going to go raise him from dead. And of course, you know, we had to talk him down from the ledge. You know, uh, why? Because he had confidence in his flesh. He had confidence in his faith. He's going to do it. You know, and and David could have done the same thing. Let's go, boys. You know, saddle up the horses. We're going. But but what did he do? No, Lord, do you even want me to go? Actually, the, the question. In order to do that, you have to have control of your own flesh, right? You have to have control of your own emotions. You have to control it. Have to control of your own. Uh, your own pride, right? Because David had a lot, he could have had a lot of pride. I can do it. You know, I've killed, I've killed the lion, I've killed the bear, I've killed the Goliath. These uncircumcised uh, Amalekites are no different. He could have done that. Uh, and, and could you have done that? Could you do these things too? Could you uh, take care of certain things in your life? I, I can do it. I'll go deal with it. You know, I'll go take care of it. Uh, and um, in fact, it's the same exact fellow. Uh, we went on a, um, uh, we went on a mission trip going to Africa and there was about a dozen of us or so on the, on the trip and so you know I had even by that time I had traveled you know uh, overseas many times been to Europe you know I've been to Europe uh, now I've been to Europe I don't know 20 or 30 times at least over the years and so traveled tens of thousands probably hundreds of thousands of miles on an airport on an airplane and he traveled he had traveled quite a bit uh, as well uh, uh, and, and it doesn't matter but you know, I probably traveled more than he had at that point in time. But we get down to the airport. And most of the people that were with us really had never been, haven't traveled before, right? So, you know, it's not really hard to travel, but you got to learn a few things, right? And so, uh, so some of the people, uh, when, when, when deciding what to pack, didn't decide. They just packed everything, right? So if you pack everything, you don't forget anything, right? Well, that's great, except that all your luggage is now uh, overweight, right? And so we get to the airport. And all the luggage is, is over, over the limit. And so now it's going to be a, at least a $50 extra baggage fee, right, to carry for the extra luggage. Uh, and and so, so before anybody can do anything, he jumps up. I'll take care of this. Okay, fine. So, you know, for me, I'm under no pressure, right? I, I mean, it does nothing to me, right? He's going to go take care of it. Fine. And, and so he gets up there. And he gets right in this lady's face. We're not paying for this. You know, we're, we're ministers of the gospel. We're not paying for this. And there's this big black lady at the airport. You know, oh, yes, you are. And they, say, you know, they started going, you know, kind of going at it, you know. And, and uh, I started a pool. I put all my money on the black lady because I figured she could take it, you know. And, and, and so, um, but they're just, you know, and he's being really disrespectful because, it's, you know, she's the one in charge, not him, right? Now, and so, but he's demanding, you know, we're not paying this. And so she stood her ground. Uh, and and so he kind 
his feathers kind of fell when he knew he couldn't, you know, uh, uh, move the immovable object. He kind of just sulked back to his chair, you know. And so, you know what I did? I didn't do anything. Well, why? It's none of my business, right? I mean, I'm, you know, the pastor's here. He's on the trip. You know, I'm not, this is not my trip. I'm not in charge of this trip, you know. So, uh, but uh, I do, uh, you know, all, all throughout the years when I was with him, I'd always watch my pastor. I always keep an eye on him, right? And so, you know, he's about six or eight people down, you know, to my right. And I could just tell he leaned over. And when he leaned over, he looked at me and he gave me the nod. Well, when he gave me the, I knew what, the, I knew what I'm supposed to do. Now, I've got to go fix this, right? And so, but I didn't have to do it in the flesh. I, so, you know, I didn't go up there and just, you know, uh, override her. And, and In fact, I went up to her and said, ma'am, I said, uh, I said, all of this is our fault. None of this is your fault. I said, is there somebody that I could talk to? that we can maybe get a waiver for, for these things. She said, well, yeah, just go down, downstairs, talk to, you know, so-and-so. She'll, she's in charge, and uh, you can see what she wants to do. And I said, oh, you know, I appreciate that. So I went downstairs, talked to find the lady in charge. I said, you know, this is 100% our fault, not your fault, it's our fault. I said, but, you know, we're just taking extra stuff, and a lot of us had packed extra clothes and extra food that we were going to leave there in Africa uh, because, you know, they could use extra food and clothes. And so uh, I said, when we come back, none of our luggage, you know, guaranteed will be over, over the limit. And that, and that was the case. None of the luggage coming back was over the limit because we either ate the food or we left it there. And, and we, uh, any extra clothes that we took, we left it there as well. Uh, and I said, so could, you know, would it be possible to get, uh, uh, get an override, you know, a waiver on the trip? She, yeah, sure, no problem. She signed a piece of paper, whatever it took up there, and we went through it, uh, went, through, went through the line without having to pay the extra fee. Uh, but what, what you've got to learn from that is you can't do things in your own flesh. Now, uh, was I smarter than a lady that, uh, I don't know, you know, but I, by that time I'd had, you know, uh, six years of, of engineering uh, education plus a couple of uh, theology degrees. And, you know, I could have uh, told her a few, you know, Greek or Hebrew words, I suppose, you know, and, and um, try to overwhelm her like that or, you know, or give her a second order differential equation or something, you know, to prove to her how smart I was. Uh, but, you know, I didn't do any of that stuff. Uh, Lord, uh, you know, what do you want me to do? And see, when you have no confidence in the flesh, then you're like David. Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Because you could say anything, right? Now, the, the fella tried to just, you know, basically he, he tried to uh, force her to yield to his will in his own flesh. And, and you know, uh, it, it, I have seen that happen so many times where people use their flesh to try to win a situation instead of, instead of uh, having confidence in the Lord only and just relaxing, they try to demand their rights and privileges. And we have no rights and privileges. I mean, it's our fault, right? Is it the airline's fault? Well, they shouldn't have that rule. It doesn't matter. It's the rule. It's their airplane. Don't fly an airplane if you don't like the rules. Amen? Uh, and so, you know, it's just, you know, I know the airlines are... Uh, one of a few industries that seem to do everything they can to show much how much they hate their customers, but uh, but it's, it's their it's their airplanes, right? And it's their rules, and so um, so David said, "Lord, um, should I pursue after this troop? Should I go after them? No confidence in the flesh. No, con- even though he had a right to have confidence, but it's like Paul said, right? Remember, Paul said that I, that though I might also have confidence in the flesh." If any other man thinketh that he have there, uh, he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. So if, if any of these warriors would have had a right to have confidence in the flesh, David more, 
right? David had greater experience. He was the only one who killed the giant. Uh, he's the only one who killed the ten, tens of thousands. You know, even Saul the king had only killed his thousands. David had a perfect right to have confidence in the flesh. He chose not to have any confidence in the flesh. He chose not to uh, yield to his own experience or knowledge or skills. Uh, that, did he have uh, experience and knowledge and skills? He did. Did he take advantage of that when he fought the other people? He did, right? When he, when he went on the battle, he knew, you know, so, but even in that, he still would yield to the Lord, amen? No doubt he would know exactly how to, you know, how to fight the battles and the Lord would be with him all the time. Uh, and so, uh, but he, you know, in one sense, he, had a, he would have had a right to have confidence in the flesh and yet uh, he goes to the Lord. Shall I pursue after them? And shall I overtake them? Uh, and the Lord answered to him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David went, he and the six hundred men that were with him, and came to the brook uh, Besor, uh, where those that were left behind stayed. Uh, and so David pursued he and four hundred men, for two hundred abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the uh, brook uh, uh, Besor. So, so they left for six hundred. Uh, you know, of course, they've been out fighting already. So, you know, they went on another battle. 200 guys go, look, you know, we can't go any further today. We're just going to stay back here. And uh, we'll watch the stuff that you guys leave here. You guys, you 400 go on uh, and uh, take care of the Amalekites. And so what did they do? They went and fought and they, they got everything back, right? They got all the spoil. Uh, and um, and it just, it's just a small side journey, you know, uh, let's, let's go down to... Uh, verse 21. So they went and fought. They, they won, won the battle, recovered everything, nothing lacking. Uh, they got all the sons, all the daughters, um, uh, everything back. And in addition, uh, a greater spoil, right? It says in verse 20, And David took all the flocks and the herds, which they drave before those other cattle, and said, This is David's spoil. And David came to the 200 men, which were so faint that they could not follow David, whom uh, they had made also to abide at the brook Besor, and uh, they went uh, forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near the people, he saluted them. Then answered all the wicked men and men of Belial, of those that went with David. So of the 400, right? So, so 600 left, 200 got tired and stopped at the, at the brook. Uh, 400 went on and fought the battle and won the battle. Now they're coming back. They, they made it back to the 200 guys that, that were resting. And the 400 that went with David uh, said, uh, because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil or any of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. So basically the 400 guys said, look, uh, you get your women and children back, but we're keeping all the stuff for ourselves. We'd fought the battle. You know, you didn't fight the battle. Um, uh, we did all the work. And, of course, David, having great wisdom, you know, we know that Solomon was, was, was the wisest man on the earth, but David had a lot of wisdom as well. And then said David in verse 23, You shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall take part alike. And it was so from that day forward that he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel unto this day. And so, you know, the, the men that had stayed back, the 200 men, said, well, we'll just stay back here and watch the stuff, you know, that, that, uh, that we've been carrying with us. We're gonna, uh, and you guys go on and fight the battle. And so, 
you know, the, the people uh, that were fighting the battle then came back and said, well, you're not getting this stuff. This is all for us. Uh, and David said, no. Uh, they had their part, right? What was their part? Their part was to watch the stuff. The other 400's parts was to fight the battle. Uh, but uh, what was the problem with the 400 men? They thought that, that their... Uh, that, that their contribution to the effort was of more value than the people who watched the stuff. And so therefore, they should get more stuff, right? Uh, and, you know, the, uh, and I see that in the church all the time, that sometimes people think that their part in the church is more valuable than somebody else's part in the church, right? Uh, and, and, it's, it's, and it's very common, right? Uh, it, ministers sometimes, you know, get this mentality that, that my role in a church is more important than your role in a church. But if you're not here, then how important is my role? If you, none, of, none of you are here today, then how important is my role? My, my role is not very important if nobody's actually here, right? Uh, and so uh, what about the, uh, Jared's role? He's doing the sound. Is his role important? Could we do what we do without Jared? Well, we can't do what we do without Jared. Uh, but, you know, I'm more important because I'm the pastor, right? So uh, therefore, my, 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 uh, my contribution is more important than others. Now, and I have seen this over the years, oftentimes, in the body of Christ, that, that, uh, that my role is more important than your role. Well, what is that? That's confidence in the flesh, right? That's people thinking that their, the, uh, their contribution is more important than somebody else's contribution. And, and the thing is, uh, we need each other. You know, collectively, we are the body of Christ. Amen? Uh, and, and, you know, you may think, well, my hand is more important uh, than, than, uh, you know, than my foot. Well, go stub your toe and think about, you know, what's the only thing you're thinking about? You're only thinking about your toe, right? Who cares about your hand? You, you're running around jumping on one foot because your toe hurts, you know, and, and, and that's what happens a lot of times in the body of Christ is, is somebody who's maybe a hand or a finger or something thinks that they're more important than somebody else. But collectively, we're the whole body of Christ, amen? I mean, you may think that your spleen is not very important, but just remove your spleen, right? Now you can't eat certain foods and you can't do certain things and... Uh, you know, there's just, there's just so often that happens in the body of Christ. Uh, and, and my observation has been, especially uh, more so in the circles that, that we're in, but in the ministry oftentimes, what I have observed is that many times, especially more so, in, like I said, in our circles, I, I have found that more often than not, that people think that uh, educated or intelligent people are of less value than, than, than the uneducated uh, because they think that because they're uneducated, God can use them more, which is really dumb, right? Because, I mean, is there any Bible for that, that, that you've got to be dumb as a brick to be used of God? But people think that, right? That, well, you know, you educated people can't be used of God. In fact, I had one person tell me that, you know, you don't have to walk in faith. They're telling it to me. You don't have to walk in faith because you have a degree in the wall. I have to walk in faith because I don't have a degree in the wall. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I mean, is that, is that a rule? That because I got a degree in the wall, actually, you've got my office... I don't have any degrees on the wall right now. You know, one of these days I'll hang them back up. But, uh, but is, that, is that a biblical principle that if I have a degree in a wall, I'm not required to walk by faith? No, the, I mean, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. Amen. Um, and, you know, I, I remember trying to even explain, you know, there were some people who rode motorcycles. I rode motorcycles, but, uh, but they thought because they rode motorcycles that educated people are, are stupid, you know, that they're cool because they rode motorcycles. You know, it's just, and these are Christians, right? Now, if they're heathens, I don't care, but they're Christians. And I said, you know, do you love riding motorcycles? Oh, yeah, I love riding I said, well, who do you think designed that motorcycle? The people like me. I'm an engineer, right? And, and I was trying to explain to them about, anybody ever rode a motorcycle before? You know, if you rode a motorcycle, 
you know, uh, the thing about riding a motorcycle, it's a little different than riding, driving a car because on a motorcycle, when you go around curves, um, you know, you've got this, your, your, your motorcycle wheels have a lot to do with how you go around curves. Now, now that may not make sense to you, but, but if, you've, if you've ridden motorcycles for a long time, you know it without actually understanding it, right? You just know that when you go around a curve, you actually turn your, turn your steering wheel one direction. It doesn't make sense, right? Logically, it makes sense, but if you've done it enough, you know it. And so I was trying to explain, uh, you know, uh, centrifugal force and, you know, things to some of these people who don't have an engineering degree. And they looked at me like I was stupid, right? And, and even though it's still true, right? Physics are physics, whether you can understand them or not. You know, I happen to understand physics. And so I was, I was just trying to explain to them just casually, hey, here's why you do what you do. Because they do it, you know, but they didn't understand why they did it. And they thought I was lying. They thought I was making it up. So, you know, these principles have been around for literally hundreds of years, right? This is not something new. And so, uh, but, but, uh, but they showed so much disdain for people like me that had a degree thinking that they were more important in the body of Christ than I was. And, and, it, and, and the problem is I'm not important, more important in the body of Christ than they are because I have a degree. We need each other. Amen. And, and just because I have degrees doesn't make me any more important than anybody else. If it does, then I have confidence in my flesh. But see, I think anybody who's got absolutely no, no degrees, maybe even didn't finish high school, is just as valuable in the body of Christ as I am. And I think that. I, be, I believe that. You know, Because to me, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's got nothing to do with nothing, what your education is or anything. Because you know, I have no confidence in my flesh and I have no confidence in your flesh. What I do have confidence is, is the God in you. And if God is in you, I have confidence in that. Amen. I've, no con- I've got no confidence in your skill or your ability. I've got confidence that you will find the Spirit of God in whatever capacity that He needs to operate in this ministry and you'll, you will assist by the Spirit of God. And if you'll do that, then, we're all, then that makes us all on the exact same playing field, right? Uh, and, and, and here's the thing is, is oftentimes, uh, now I, it's not always the case. I know some people that don't have a college education and they're fine with it, right? No problem. They can hang around people that got a college education. No problem. But sometimes people that don't have a college education are intimidated by people that have a college education. In fact, my pastor, he he said for years, you know, and, and this was really one of the one of the pro, one of the things in his life that he never really found victory. That you know, for him, he cheated almost his entire way through school, right? Just cheated all the time. Uh, and I told him, you know, my second grade teacher, Mrs. Brown. She, she told us when we were in second grade, she said, why are you cheating on them? How do you know they have the right answer? As a second grader, as an intelligent second grader, I thought, you know, that's right. I don't know they've got the right answer. So I just decided in second grade that there's no need for me to cheat because I know I can study and have the right answer. I don't know if they've studied and will have the right answer. Well, see, that's what, a, what, that's what an intelligent second grader would, would conclude. But my pastor, his conclusion was, well, I know I don't have the answer, so they might. And so, because he cheated, you know, he never studied, never read or nothing, right? So he's, he knew he didn't have the answer, so there's a shot they might, right? So that's why he cheated all the time. And so, just totally different philosophies, you know, uh, uh, growing up. Uh, and so he cheated his way through, through school, and, you know, it wasn't until after he graduated from high school is when he finally got saved, you know, and came to the Lord. But even after that, now, now he loved the Word of God. In the Spirit of God, he was fearless, right? Just... Just had no fear about anything. In, in areas of physical confrontation, he had a black belt in karate. 
never, doesn't, fearless, right? Just, I mean, he could walk through a dark alley, you know, uh, blindfolded. He wouldn't bother him a bit, right? Uh, because he knew that his, uh, that his karate skills could get him out of anything. But the, but the problem with that he really struggled with is he leaned on that. Right? He leaned on that confidence of his flesh. Uh, and he said, but if a judge, you know, say one of the judges in town, you know, came into, came into the church and sat down on the back row, he said, I couldn't even preach. Because they'd be sitting back there thinking, well, well what's this bumpkin doing? He can't even talk right. He can't, you know. And he, he said, I, get so, I would get so flustered that I, I couldn't even preach if, if he knew a judge was coming into town, right? And so, so, so it took him a lot of years, you know, and I really worked at it. It took him a lot of years for him to be my friend because... I was that person, right? I had a, you know, working on a master's degree in engineering and I was the very person that he was terrified of. Uh, and, and, but I never, you know, I figured my part is to do that. His part is to do his part. And, and, you know, that doesn't make my part any better than his part. But he just really struggled in that area. You know, he had confidence in his own flesh. And in certain areas of the spirit, he was fearless. But when it came to, you know, some, why, why, would, why would having a judge come in here bother him i mean does he not have this revelation from god to 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 know what he knows he did he had great revelation of the word uh, and yet he really struggled in that area and a lot of times people struggle in it they struggle getting around other people that are that have some ability maybe it's money maybe it's intelligence maybe it's position in the community right maybe it's it's name recognition or whatever it is and they feel so inadequate well the reason why they feel so in and inadequate is because they have confidence in their own flesh or really lack of confidence in their flesh. And lack of confidence in the flesh is just as wrong in the sense of feeling unworthy and, and adequate as having confidence in the flesh that, oh, I can handle this. You know, are you a child of God? Did, did Jesus die for you? Did a king die for you? So uh, why would you ever feel inad- inadequate around anybody? You know, a king died for me what have you done for me? And I'm, I mean, I don't mean you particularly, but I mean, you know, what if a judge walks in here? What if somebody with, with six, you know, theology uh, doctorates comes in here and starts tearing apart my message going, well, you know, the Greek, you know, the second, you know, print, print, principle, whatever, participle, blah, 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 you know. I mean, I've been reading, been reading uh, T.J. McCrossan's book on bodily healing and atonement, you know, and he talks about all these verb tenses, you know, and... and, and um, I mean, I don't even know what words he's using, you know, and, and I could study it out, but, but I really don't need to know that because he knows that. Yeah. And, and it's really not my thing, right? Some people love tearing apart verb tenses, you know, and well, this is present, you know, this is past, this is, you know, whatever, uh, uh, different types of uh, Greek verb uh, conjugations. And, and so, I don't know, you know, and, 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 you know, I had one fellow, I was preaching on, on John fifteen seven about... Um, that if you abide in me, my words abide in you, ask what you will and shall be done unto you. Is that a true verse? Well, it's true, right? Uh, so uh, if, you, if you meet the requirements of that verse to abide in him and his words abide in you, then could you actually ask for anything and it will be done unto you? Well, that's what it says, right? So, you know, to me, if that's what it says, then that's what it says. I know that's big, really big revelation, right? I mean, if it says that, then, then that's what it says. And... But, but he came up, and, and the reason he was there is because we, there was a young couple that had been coming to the church for about a month or two, and so they brought him in to, to judge me, right, to, to see, is he really, is he for real? You know, that was his job. He was there to, to, to judge me 
whether I was accurate in my teaching or not. Because they said, he, they told me, he's the most spiritual person we know. And, you know, my observation was he was the least spiritual person I've ever met. Like zero. Like not, you know, there's no blip at all. It's just zero. Just beep, nothing, you know, nothing there at all, right? Because he sat back there, you know, in his mind just, you know, yeah, you can't. And so he came up to me, he said, you're preaching false hope. That's what he said, you're preaching false hope. Well, what's it even mean, false hope? Because what he's saying is, I'm preaching the hope that, yeah, you could ask whatever you want to, but it's false because really it really doesn't work that way. And yet, does it say that? So, so he had greater confidence in his flesh that, well, yeah, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that. Well, why would it say that? If it doesn't mean that, why would Jesus say that? Ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. If he didn't mean, ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. You know, that's, that's my thinking, right? Well, why would he say it that way if he didn't mean it that way, right? It's just like somebody, remember when Jesus went on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Did he say that in John, was it John 18? Did he say those words? He did. Well, why did he say those words? Because God forsook him, right? And if we understand the whole, whole plan of redemption, we understand why that happened, why it was necessary to happen, what that meant, you know, all that stuff. You, you, you know, that's not for today. But, but because people are so, they react and they say, well, uh, well, we know he said that. We, you know, he said that, my God, my God, why has that forsaken But he didn't mean that God forsook him. I'm like, make it easy. why would he say something he didn't mean? That's kind of the definition of lying, right? Oh, I love your hair. Do you really love my hair? I know it's the worst thing I've ever seen. But why would you say you love my hair? Well, you know, just trying to be nice, right? Now, you didn't mean that, right? Does this dress people look fat? Well, how do you know? I mean, oh, yes, it's the best looking dress I've ever, ever seen, honey. Well, do you mean, really mean that? No, you know, you look like a cow. You know, you, of course, you never say that. You would never say the truth, right? Now, and so, so what would you be doing if you said the other thing? Well, you'd be lying, right? And so why would Jesus say, why have you forsaken me if he didn't really mean the Lord had forsaken him? That would be called lying, right? And so, uh, so uh, but, you know, uh, th that man's job was to judge my ministry. Now, is that a position in the body of Christ? Thou shalt judge every man's ministry? No, but I mean, you know, I understand that, you know, sometimes you can listen and see, you know, is, is, is this the truth? But, uh, but it was the truth, you know. Now, I wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't intimidated by him. I knew the fellow. I knew his reputation. I, you know, I'd met him a few times before that. Uh, but, you know, he, the sad part is, they left and they never came back. As far as I know, they never went back to church anywhere else. And so the, their spiritual walk is a disaster. And that's on him. They could have stayed there. They were young Christians, baby Christians. If they were even Christians. I'm not even sure if they were Christians yet at, at that point in time. Because they'd only been with us a month or two. And, and, and they were really enjoying the ministry. I mean, there every Sunday, just really enjoying everything. And then this guru comes and, and judges the ministry as I'm preaching false hope. And basically... Uh, spoils it for those two. They never went back to church, uh, and uh, they had confidence in his flesh. He had confidence in his flesh. Amen. Instead of listening to what the truth was and, and going with that. So, so the story with David to me is just—it's it, a really good uh, example of uh, somebody who had full rights and privileges to have confidence in their flesh, and yet chose not to have any confidence in the flesh. And go to the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because, you know, now he still had to use his skills to go and fight, right? But even that, he still trusted the Lord for victory in, in that. Uh, but uh, he had no confidence in the flesh. And so, so.
so it's just, uh, what are we going to do, right? Uh, and uh, in Proverbs, um, uh, when it's talked about um, uh, the pride and the arrogance of having confidence in the flesh, because really, if you have pride and arrogance in, uh, as far as your own flesh is concerned, uh, uh, and, and uh, let me back up just a minute and talk just a second about what, what is pride, right? You ever thought about what pride is, right? Sometimes people think, well, pride is thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to, right? And that, that's a symptom of pride, but really, uh, if you, well, uh, we know what, what's the opposite of pride. Uh, opposite of pride is humility, right? So what is humility? And so if you understand what humility is, then you can understand what pride is because uh, sometimes we, give, we, we say a definition of pride and it's not 100% accurate. Because you, if you understand what humility, so what's humility, right? We all, we, all, we all know what we think humility looks like. Oh, I'm no count, you know, uh, I'm not very important, you know, I'm not, I'm, you know, don't look at me. You know, you ever seen singers get up there and go, oh, don't look at me, I'm just a humble servant of the Lord, you know. And, but you're singing, who am I going to look at? You know, I mean, I look at my neighbor, if somebody's singing, I'm looking at my neighbor, that'd make them feel really awkward, wouldn't it, right? You'd stand at, why are you staring at me? Well, they said, don't look at them. Uh, and so, uh, so what's humility? Well, the, the definition of humility is not thinking less of yourself than you ought to because did Jesus die for you? Well, then you're a king. You're, you're, we're kings and priests, right? We're, we're, we're royalty, amen? Now, we're not the king of kings, but, um, but uh, we're, we're, we're priests and, and royalty, amen? Yeah. And so you shouldn't, think, you shouldn't think less of yourself than you ought to. Paul said don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to, but he also didn't say... Therefore, think less of yourself than you ought to. Uh, just think of yourself like the Lord thinks of you. That's what you ought to think of, right? Well, who am I? I'm a child of the king. That's all you got to know, right? You don't have to think you're important or you know, more valuable than somebody else. I'm a child of the king. And so humility, the, 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 the best definition of humility, I think, is, is to remain under. Uh, and to remain under means remain under the Lord. And that's it. I'm under the Lord. He's over me. That means he's always over me. He'll always be over me. I'm never going to usurp that position. I'm never going to say, Lord, I got this. Because if I say I've got this, then I've usurped that position of being Lord of my life. Just like David didn't do that, right? David said, I've got this. No, David remained under. He said, Lord, Lord, I'm under you. Do you want me to go fight or not? Do you want me to go and pursue them or not? See, he remained under the Lord. That's humility. So pride then is not remaining under, right? If it's the opposite of, of humility, pride is not... So if you say, you know, I'm more important than, than, than uh, educated people, then that's pride because you're not remaining under the Lord. You're saying that, that you somehow are more important than your brother or sister in the Lord. Aren't we all under the Lord? That means we're all equal in, in, to some, some extent, right? Uh, and so, but if you say, I'm unworthy and no count, God could never love somebody like me, you also have stopped remaining under the Lord. You say, Lord, that your blood is not sufficient for me. That your sacrifice on the cross is not even good enough for me. That your forgiveness can't even forgive someone like me. So you're just as much prideful when you say you're no count and unworthy. Just as much prideful. So pride is not remaining under. Remain under. Well, Lord, you know, except for you, I'd be, I, I deserve hell. That's remaining under, right? Now, now, in you, I get all the blessings of heaven. But without you, I, I deserve nothing. Amen. And see, if you just remain under, then that's, that's the correct place to be, amen? Uh, and, and that's what Paul is trying to make a point there in Philippians chapter 3 is remain under. Just, are, are you, does God love you? 
Yeah. Are you more important than your brother or sister? Well, no. We're, we're, we are the body of Christ. Amen. Paul said there are some portions of, of the body that are more honorable than others. Just meaning, you know, uh, um, you know, you see my hands, but you don't see my toes, right? So they're, they're, they're covered, right? And um, I mean, if I was a cool and hip pastor to come in here with flip-flops, you know, or something, look how cool and hip I am. I'm wearing flip-flops now, you know, because I'm cool and hip. And you can see all my toes, right? Uh, and, and, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, you know, they will always remain covered, amen? Uh, and so when I'm preaching anyway, and so, uh, so that means that in one sense, my hands have more honor than, than my feet do, right? But are my, are my feet important? Well, they are, amen? Uh, do, I, do I think, look at them, worth his feet, you know, my hands, I raise my hands to the Lord. I don't raise my feet to the Lord, so my hands are way more important. I never think that. You know, I think it's all me, right? It's all me, and it's all, all need to be taken care of, amen? Uh, and, but sometimes in the body of Christ, we think that. Sometimes we think, I'm more important than you, right? Maybe I can play an instrument. Maybe I can work a soundboard. Maybe I can sing. Maybe I can preach. Somehow that makes me more important than you. It's just, it's, it's so wrong to think that way, amen? Remain under. If we all remain under, then we're all good, right? And so uh, th- then uh, back to what uh, Proverbs says, Proverbs uh, 3.34 says, Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. And again, the lowly, uh, the, the word humility is often translated as lowly. But it's lowly in a sense of we are below, right? We are below the Lord. Amen? And so that's where you're lowly. You're not lowly relative to each other. You're not lowly as far as being unworthy to receive the blessings of the Lord. You are lowly because he's exalted, right? He's high and lifted up, and we are under him. And in that sense, we are lowly, right? And if you leave it at that, that's humility. That's perfect humility. And so some people don't like that humility because they want, they want me to get up and say, oh, I'm no count, you know, I don't know nothing, you know. I know a lot of things, you know. I don't know everything, but I know some things. Uh, and I'm not going to run myself down to make you feel better about yourself. That would be silly, right? Uh, but I'm not going to exalt myself also. I know more than anybody else. Well, how would I know that? I'm the best pastor there ever was. How would I know that? Have I met every pastor there ever was? Uh, and so, so you know, the, the balance is just remain under, right? Because he says he gives grace, grace to the lowly, amen? He says the same thing in James chapter 4. He says in verse 6, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Well, the grace of God gives you the ability to do anything that's in the will of God. Amen. Is God's grace, God's ability working in you to accomplish his will in the earth? So if you have the grace of God, is there anything that you can't do? No, if, if, if there's something that you're required to do in this life as a child of God, then the grace of God, the ability of God is there with you to accomplish that thing. And so people, I, I just can't do that. Well, the grace of God's there to do that, right? I just can't take it anymore. Well, the grace of God is there to help you take it more. By you saying you can't take it anymore, that you can't do that, and yet we know it's, you know, well, I can't stay married to that person. Well, the grace of God is there to stay married to that person, right? Uh, well, I just don't want to. Well, that's a different discussion, right? It's different of saying I don't want to versus I can't. Saying I can't says that the word of God is not sufficient. Saying I don't want to is all on you, but we don't like to say I don't want to because, well, that makes me look bad. So I, I would love to, I just can't. But that's what we love to say, even though biblically that's not true. Biblically, uh, what's true is I can always, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Isn't that what the Word of God says? So, see that's remaining. A, a humble person can say, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. A prideful person says, I can't do that. 
Why? Because they, they pride to take themselves out from under the Lord. Right? They no longer can depend on the Lord. He's not dependable. They have to depend on their own strength, and they know their strength is not sufficient, and so they're going to use that excuse to not do the will of God. Uh, and it sounds, you know, it, 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 it sounds like, you know, they're not at fault. I can't do that, but they are at fault. Because if they're doing the will of God, if they're, if they're married, and they just don't want to stay married, now look, we're not mad at anybody. I'm not, you know, trying to beat anybody up. I'm just saying, if we live by excuse, we're not humble. Amen? See, a humble person never makes an excuse. A humble person says, I can do everything. And if that person actually doesn't do something, they'll say, I chose not to do it. They're still humble in saying that, right? A prideful person says, I, I, could, I couldn't do it. There's no way I could do that. See, that, that's a person who takes out from under the Lord, right? And says, you know, the Lord's not sufficient, but neither am I. And, and so, you know, you've got to be careful because, you know, uh, years ago, the Lord started dealing with me about living by excuse. Everything's an excuse, you know. Uh, you know, uh, sorry I'm late. I just, you know, uh, I, I just, uh, 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 you know, traffic happened or, you know, whatever, whatever. You know, I remember this uh, pastor had to go pick up Dr. Dufresne from the airport one time. And he said, uh, he got there late. And, and he said, uh, sorry I'm late. Uh, he said there was traffic. Uh, it, is that, does that sound like a valid excuse? I mean, it sounds like a valid excuse, right? But Dr. Dufresne said, well, you live in this town. You should know if there's traffic or not. So you should have, been, you should have left earlier. What was he saying? You just living by excuse. Just say you're late because you were, you were unfaithful to do your job. Now, that, that's what a person who's humble would say, right? Sorry I'm late. I, I, I just, uh, uh, I chose not to leave on time. I chose to watch the last 30 seconds of, you know, to find out who done it, right? Uh, and, and so I couldn't record it. You know, I had to find out who won the ball game. Uh, and so... Uh, at least be honest with yourself, right? Uh, and so, uh, see, a, a humble person will say, Lord, your word is so, I can always do what your word says. A prideful person will look at the word of God and says, there's no way I can do that. Because the, a prideful person doesn't want to leave himself under the Lord. They want to reserve the right to choose to follow God's will or not follow God's will. And a prideful person will do that, right? Uh, and a person who has confidence in their own flesh. Because... You know, when you have confidence in your own flesh, you just want to do what you want to do. If you don't want to, if you don't want to, you know, uh, take out the garbage, then you just, you know, you'll find every reason in the world not to take out the garbage, right? And of course, of course me and Jared, we do that oftentimes, right? We can get more stuff in it, right? We can, I think we can cram more stuff in it. And then we cram it so much, you can't get the bag out of the garbage can, right? And it's, and it's just, uh, and it weighs 6,000 pounds, right? Uh, and so, but see, the Bible says that God giveth, God resists the proud. Those that won't remain under, God resists those, right? Those who have confidence in their own flesh, God will resist those. But giveth grace unto the humble, those that will remain under. Those who will look at their own flesh and say, I've got no confidence. There's no way I can make it by myself, Lord. There's nothing, I bring nothing to the table, Lord. I bring no intelligence, no skill, no understanding. I bring nothing to the table, Lord. Everything I have is, is you, right? Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, that I am what I am by the grace of God. Uh, and he didn't say I am what I am because I'm such a wonderful person amen now I know people who think, think that right I'm such a wonderful person sometimes I can't even stand myself right uh, and so but God gives grace to the humble so God will give you the ability to do whatever his will is he gives grace God's ability to those who remain under and those who have no confidence in the flesh amen uh, and, and that's really a, if you can live there that's a wonderful place to live because it's just 
well, what's my life? Oh, I can do that. What, what I, got? I, I can do that. No, what do you got? I can do that. Just, if it's the will of God, I, yeah, I can do that. You mean you know, like get up every single day and go to work? Oh, yeah, I can do that. I, you mean get up every be nice to my wife every day? Yeah, I can do that. There's no way. Have you met her? Uh, of course, you've all met my wife, right? It's easy to be nice to my wife. Uh, but uh, I, I, just, I can't do that. Sure you can, right? Absolutely, you can do it, right? If, if the Word of God says you can do it, then you can do it, amen? And so, so many times we try to use excuses to say why we can't do the Word of God. And that is having confidence in our flesh. That means my flesh over here is more important than, than the Word of God, and so I need to make an excuse for my, for my flesh. And yet he says in the last verse here, in 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. You know, it's, it's perfectly fine for you to, to honor those that are your elders. Amen. You know, I honor my elders even in, in the church here, right? I'm always respectful to, to my elders. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and I got no problem with that. You know, I remember when we moved to Tennessee, you know, in, in New Hampshire, there was no, uh, there was really no, um, uh, it, it wasn't common to say yes, ma'am, and, and, and yes, sir. It was just yes and no, right? Uh, it wasn't until we moved to Tennessee that we called people ma'am and sir. Nowadays, you're not, you're not allowed to do that. Certain companies say you can't use the word. In fact, I think it was like Kroger says you can no longer say yes, ma'am, and, and yes, sir to your customers because you don't really know. Are they a ma'am or a sir? You know, they may be halfway, right? They may be a mer, right, or a Sam or something, you know. Uh, and, and so, so we don't want to we don't want to assume gender, right? Because you know the world's insane, uh, and, and so because the world is insane, so. But it's perfectly fine to submit to your elders. Amen. Is that okay? Well, sure. But I remember one of my brothers said, "I ain't saying yes, ma'am, and yes, sir. Nobody. Fine. I don't care. You know. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Now, see, I like that verse right there, because that means that the elder has to be subject to the younger too sometimes." You know, the elders, it's, it's, perfectly, it's perfectly acceptable for the elders to respect the youngers, too. Submit yourselves one to another. Well, that, all, that only goes in one direction. It doesn't say in one direction. It says, all of you be subject to one to another. That means wives to the husbands and husbands to the wives. Amen? Uh, I know we don't like that part, but this is what it says, right? And be clothed with humility. When I look, all, all I see is the Lord. If I look this way, I see the Lord. If I look this way, I see the Lord. If I look this way, I see the Lord. Because I'm under the Lord. I'm in the Lord. And so I'm going to be clothed with humility because in and of myself, I have no ability to do anything. And giveth grace to the humble. So if I remain under, the grace of God, God's ability to accomplish His will in the earth is always there. Always there. Nothing I can't do. And, and you know, people say, oh, it's just so hard. You know, it's just, it's just so hard doing that every day. No, it's not. So hard, you know, you, you, you can't just respect your boss all the time. Sure, you can every single day. Well, he doesn't, doesn't deserve it. Do you deserve anything? It, you know, respect your elders. Is, is your boss your elder in a sense? He is, right? Anything wrong with respecting your boss? Nothing wrong with it. Well, he doesn't deserve it. it, it does it say uh, 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 there in verse 5, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elders who are worthy of your respect. No, it just says, respect your elders, right? Submit yourself unto the elders. And that just means to honor them, right? And, and to listen to them. It doesn't mean you have to do every, you know, if you've got a foolish elder, doesn't mean you have to do any of what they say, right? I remember one time, and, and we'll go, I remember one time I, I, I was, it was actually in a parking lot, and, and uh, this, this gentleman who was much, much my senior, 
was just talking about just really foolish things, right? And just things that's, you know, just, uh, you know, and, and, and so I'm not saying anything. And, and my pastor happened to be there, you know, and he says, uh, Chip, you're not saying anything. And without me really saying this, I'm just waiting to hear something I can hook up with, you know. Uh, and, and I wasn't trying to disrespect the elder, but, you know, he was just really talking foolish, right? And, and so I wasn't trying to, to, uh, to disparage the elder, but, um, but the elder was trying to get me to hook up with these things that are unbiblical. And I don't care if you're my elder or not. If it's unbiblical, I'm not going to hook up with it, right? And, uh, and so don't, uh, don't demand that I submit to you if you're being foolish, amen? Because I'm not required to submit to foolishness, amen? Uh, because other places talk about submitting yourselves as unto the Lord. Amen? So if it's the Lord, I can submit to it. If it's not the Lord, I'm not under no obligation to submit to it. Amen? God resists the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. So uh, if you can get to a point where you have no confidence in your flesh, but you can be just like David, even though you could, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'll stay, I can go. It doesn't matter. What if the Lord had told David, don't go? David, he wouldn't have went. He'd have lost all those wives, all those kids, you know. Well, the Lord didn't say, well, we got to go. Lord said, don't go. Well, we got to go. Lord said, don't go. So what should you do? Don't go. Does the Lord know everything? Why would the Lord do that? I don't know. I mean, you know, do you, are you, is the Lord required to explain himself to you? No. So, so we've got to get to be like Paul, uh, where Paul said, I have no confidence in the flesh, even though I have a Technically, I have a natural right to have confidence in the flesh. I choose not to live that way. Amen. So, uh, so do you do you have to be the person that who says then I'm not going to have any skills or whatsoever. I'm going to be as dumb as a rock. No, because Paul went through his resume. He said, look at all these accomplishments I've had. And, and did he have any other accomplishments? Sure, he had uh, 14 years of, with the Lord. He got all the, everything he got was by revelation. You know, he wrote all, the, all these books of the Bible. He had a lot of accomplishments after the fact, after he got saved, right? And yet he still didn't brag about, well, I'm better than all you because I wrote a book of the Bible. How many books have you written, Matthias? Bartholomew, right? Uh, how many books have you? Oh, James. Oh, you wrote one book, James. Pfft, whatever. You know, I wrote so many, I can't even, I lost count, right? Uh, you won't run book, you know, it's embarrassing. Uh, I mean, you know, did he, did he do any of that? No, he didn't do that. Uh, and yet, uh, it's uh, pursue everything. I, I mean, be the very best you can be, but never get in the pride of thinking, Lord, I'm something. I have arrived, right? And that's really what Paul is getting to there. And it's really a great message. Uh, and it's something that you will have to spend a lot of time in your life, your flesh, getting in that place, amen? Because you have to be diligent about getting to the place where I choose to have no confidence in my flesh, amen? So let's pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you that uh, we can live as Paul lived, Father, having no confidence in their flesh. It doesn't mean that we have no accomplishments, Father. It's just that whatever they are, that's not what makes us able to complete your will in the earth. It's your grace, Father, and your word and your spirit that gives us the ability to accomplish your will in the earth. Not my talents, not my understanding, not my education, Father. It's your grace, Father. And so, Father, we depend entirely upon your grace. We choose to live without excuse in our lives. We thank you for that, Father. We give you the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. The Lord is good. Amen. And so Paul starts in there in the next several verses talking about all the wonderful things that he's done. Amen. Uh, and so we'll, we'll look at those uh, next, uh, next week or so. So uh, well, let's get ready to receive this evening's offering as Jared's coming to, uh, to do that. Uh, don't forget uh, prayers Friday night at 7 p.m. Uh, here at the church. And then... Um, 
Uh, and then this Sunday, of course, is uh, uh, church uh, meal, finger foods, and the, uh, um, the white elephant thing. And, and look, if you, if you forget to bring something or you don't have anything to bring, just come anyway. We always have lots of extras anyway, right? It's just mostly for entertainment and have a good time. Amen. And so come ahead, Mr. Jared, receive the offering. And then Chris will be back with us on uh, tomorrow, so she'll be here Sunday with us. And then um, uh, it's, you know, of course, today, today is December the 7th, right? So today is the anniversary of Pearl Harbor, right? Uh, and so is it 81 years ago? Um, and um, that was a big mess right there, right? Uh, and so um, that uh, kicked off a lot of, uh, a, a lot of uh, uh, stuff in history, right? All of World War II and our involvement of World War II started because of today, 81 years ago, amen? And so that was a big mess for, for all that. So you mad at anybody because they did that 81 years ago? I know, you know, it's, uh, we can't change what happened 81 years ago, can we? So... All right, we'll be blessed, uh, and uh, we'll see you all Friday, right?